Hello and welcome to FD TV. We are back again with another episode of our daily football show. I'm your host Ali, joined with my fellow co-host Jawad. Jawad, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So finally, the Serie A has kicked off. I'm looking forward to the first Milan match of the season. Without any further ado, just make sure to hit the thumbs up button and subscribe to our channel. Let's get into this. So, a big statement has been revolving around social media on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube comment sections. and that is that psg will fail in the ucl once again even after signing one of the best players and having one of the best transfer windows of all time what is your take on it uh, you're right in one aspect of this that they absolutely nailed the transfer window what a transfer window they had uh, they they built up the next galacticos of this era no longer are people attracted towards joining Uh, Real Madrid you've got the M&M up front in Neymar Messi and Mbappe so a terrifying sight but the teams that everyone that's been talking about uh, with comparison to Galacticos is they didn't went uh, they didn't win much in terms of trophies could the same future be uh, could the same be in the future for PSG that's the question for you because it is an unbalanced side it is completely an unbalanced side because in the midfield you don't have much of a pivot point you might you don't have players who can control the game and launch balls forward because you've got a terrifying front line and you've got a very solid defense in Marquinhos, Kimbembe and obviously Ramos when he is available alongside with the two world-class goalkeepers in Keylor Navas and Gigi Donnarumma what the problem for me is is they're top, too top heavy and when the teams are not balanced that's when they tend to just uh, wheels tend to fall off Do you think that would be the problem causing them not to win the Champions League this season? Imbalance in the squad is obviously the main concern, but if you look deeper and you want to talk about the Champions League pedigree, look at the players they have signed. Uh Sergio Ramos obviously has won a Champions League title after Champions League title. He was one of the reasons that Real Madrid went on that amazing streak of UCL dominance, but he is very old now and he's not the same defender as he was when he was 29 or 30. that's a factor as well and look at the other players they have signed okay sure they have signed one aldam from liverpool who has won the champions league but how much of a difference can a progressive attacking midfielder make of course he's a workhorse and he's going to uh, provide you with something in the middle of the park but is he in the same category as um, modric cruz joshua kimmich i don't think so he will have an impact but the impact can be limited akhraf hakimi went out with inter milan in the uh, group stages and recently and before that he was at dortmund but still never put in a performance where you thought okay akhraf hakimi is a proven uh, world class talent of course he has potential but still he is unproven in the biggest competition club competition in the world now we move on to the uh, player that everybody is expecting the most out of and that is lionel messi if i look at the track record of lionel messi in the last decade In 2011, Barcelona had to win Champions League. They had one of the best squads of all time in club football. So anything other than the Champions League victory could have been a surprise to the footballing world. He went after after 2011. He went on a barren run under 2015 when they had MSN and again a brilliant team in all aspects with Iniesta, Busquets at their prime, Xavi pulling the strings, Messi, Suarez, and Neymar up front. So that is another team where you expect to win Champions League football. Now after that, he flopped against Atletico Madrid. He went out after humiliated, uh, after being humiliated by Liverpool, Napoli, Juventus, Atletico Madrid, Bayern Munich. 
you name it. He went out in the biggest stages when the team needed him the most. And when you look at the record, of course, Messi has uh, the second most goals in UCL history of all time. But when you look at the knockout stages where it matters the most, he has half the number of goals as Cristiano Ronaldo, his closest rival in the competition. So that raises a quest- lot of questions. Plus, if I want to ask you, if PSG draw with a prime Liverpool, a Liverpool whose Van Dijk is in full form, whose front three are attacking, and uh, a Man City or a Bayern Munich, would you prefer them? I don't think so. What difference I think is going to be this season? Because I have a true sense of belief that this season, it is PSG season. They will win the Champions League. That's my belief. But I understand the arguments against it. The reason I believe PSG wins it is because the other teams do not have the same backing. The other teams do not have the same understanding uh, in terms of uh, they're not playing at the same level. Bayern Munich is not the same as they were back when they won the Champions League. Liverpool is certainly not where they were when they won the Champions League. Manchester City is probably the closest rival PSG will have in terms of uh, a complete squad and competitiveness. But what it actually comes down to is that Manchester City, same as PSG, does not have the pedigree in Champions League. So, Aston Villa, after securing a 2-0 win on Saturday, Danny Ings made an instant impact, scored one of the goals of the season contenders already. He's going to have a major impact in Aston Villa's outcome in terms of league position. But let's fixate on the question. Does Aston Villa have what it takes to be in the top 7 or 8 of the Premier League? I, I certainly believe so. I certainly believe so. Now, when you look at the team sheet of Aston Villa, you will not come across anymore with the people who are recognizable, in a sense. You still have some uh, great footballers in there, which a true footballing fan would understand that the talent that they possess. But if you put the team sheet uh, in front of a casual football fan, you, you're you not going to be coming across someone who's going to say, oh, I know that guy. And uh, I feel like uh, what they have really built over here, it's to do with more than what uh, an actual name is. Selling a player like Grealish and bringing in the replacements is what's been necessary for Aston Villa for quite a long time. Because if you've been given a hundred million dollars, a hundred million pounds, uh, seriously, for a player like Jack Grealish, I think he wasn't worth that much considering his actual raw talents. But his market uh, marketability was certainly there. A club like Aston Villa was not able to exploit that. A club like Manchester City absolutely will exploit that. So, with that said, the actual understanding between these players, if you really saw the game against Newcastle United, not really showing them any like side of goal and taking control of the game, being absolutely brilliant on the ball and then having a lethal young forward in front. It, I, I have to go with Aston Villa making a big impact in this uh, Premier League season and even getting some points off the big, big six. I have to agree there, actually. Even though they lost on the opening day against Watford City, but the thing with the teams who are in the relegation battle is pretty straightforward. They come in with courage, they come in with heart and bravery, and eventually they burn out by Christmas, and then it is easy to get three points at home or away against the relegation teams of the Premier League. So that was uh, the loss against Watford. I won't take that too much to heart if I was an Aston Villa fan because there are great things ahead. And as you mentioned, United uh, drew with Southampton on Sunday. So if United can draw with Southampton, who have a shell of their former squad, 
uh, and they were poor last season. So now they are even weaker, but they got a point of Manchester United. So these things can happen, but Aston Villa are likely to make an impact. Look at the signings they have made. Uh, they got Leon Bailey, who was at Leverkusen. I think he's the perfect Jack Grealish replacement. Sure, he will take time to settle in maybe a month or a month and a half, uh, four or five fixtures, but he will deliver and he will contribute to Aston Villa's season. Uh, other than that, they got Emi Bondia. What a player he is. 16 goals and 17 assists in the championship last season. Uh, brought uh, Norwich City back to the Premier League. But obviously, he wasn't going to overstay at Norwich City. That club is not on his on his level. And he certainly needed to upgrade himself to a better team. And Aston Villa is the right destination. They got Ezri Konza, who is a... a player from the previous season. I think he will only mature as a centre-back this season. Tyron Mings can be very uh, good on his day and is very useful. Now, the most important player is Danny Ings. In his 189 appearances for clubs like Burnley, uh, Southampton, he has copped up 81 goals and 25 assists. That is not a bad record when you consider the kind of teams he has played with. So, uh, Danny Ings, instantly made an impact. He's a threat from set pieces. He's a threat uh, in the air. He's a threat when it comes to running with the ball in spaces and finishing uh, chances, which are even half chances. Dennings can, uh, he has the ability and experience to finish those chances as well. So that is why I think Aston Villa have a very good shout this season to be better than the previous one and actually be better than teams like Wolverhampton Wenders, Everton and even Arsenal. I would throw that in there. The only reason I'm going to count off Leeds is because of their pragmatic setup. Uh, it's a team that's not out there to really take points. It's out there to entertain, specifically against the big six. Uh, they, they are uh, very open with their play. They, they like to take chances. And because of that, the likelihood of them losing points to big six is very, very huge. Compare that to with uh, Aston Villa. Last season, again, they ended up taking points off the big six. I feel like this is similar... Uh, disposition is in place this year as well where if you come across a team without Van Dijk in terms of Liverpool you can take points off them and if you come across a side uh, in Manchester United who's not really uh, up and running with the new signings you are likely to take points from there as well uh, and so those big six points are, are, are going to be uh, hugely beneficial for Aston Villa's chances at uh, finishing in the top six uh, or even in the top eight, uh, if you really feel like they're not as good as what they were doing last season. So I have to say that uh, the forward that they've got up front in Ings, it, it kind of reminds me of a, a jump, a Jamie Ward when he joined uh, Premier League. Uh, people weren't thinking very highly of him. They, he reminded uh, them of what he is capable of his day, uh, taking every single chance that's been given to him, playing for a team which is not... Uh, expected to perform at the level that they are performing at. Last season, uh, Aston Villa was performing great in the first half of the season. They kind of ended up dropping off and the other teams picked up pace. Uh, this season, if they're able to keep it consistent and once there isn't a spotlight on one particular player, I feel like it's going to be beneficial for a team like Aston Villa uh, who I, I think revel in the underdog kind of mentality. And if they go in with that mentality and they're able to really utilize it to the best of their ability, uh, I have to go with uh, Aston Villa over Everton, over Leeds United and over Wolverhampton Wanderers as well. Arsenal, after losing 2-0 to Brentford, they have signed uh, Martin Odegaard, who was much needed because Emil Smith-Rowe is still a raw talent, no matter how talented or how high, high his potential is. 
I still think that Martin Odegaard will bring experience and is a well-rounded player who can fit in a number of different roles in the attacking third for Arsenal. So they got him from Real Madrid, another big loss for Real Madrid in a major transfer window for the club's history. Secondly, they got Aaron Ramsdale from Sheffield United, who I think is another overrated English keeper, but he will be second or third choice. So Arsenal being the top spender this season, this transfer window, people were saying that they could have spent it in a much better way on much better players. What is your thought on that? So right now you're absolutely right in making this assessment. They could have spent this money in a much better way. Absolutely, 50 mil on Ben White, and then another, I think, uh, 20 mil for uh, this keeper that they've signed and Odegaard as well uh, in there. There's a lot of money that Arsenal has been throwing around. And if you really look at the performance that Odegaard put in last season, I wouldn't have brought him back in. I, I certainly would not have brought him back in at the price tag that they brought him back in at. Right. Uh, just look at the same comparison in terms of what AC Milan did with a certain Brahim Diaz. Now, Brahim Diaz was kind of an interchangeable player because uh, AC Milan had Hakan Chanamolu in there playing at the number 10 role. Obviously, he contributed 20 goal contribution in the league last season. He's off to Inter Milan. So they brought back Brahim Diaz. Yeah, they brought him back on a loan formula of for two years. They get to try him out. And if they choose to, they can then pay 25 million to actually buy him outright, right? So compare that with what they did with Odegaard. Coming from the same team, keep in mind, Brahim Diaz is a Real Madrid player, Odegaard is a Real Madrid player, and again, they could have formalized a plan in which Odegaard would have come on potentially another year on loan with an obligation to buy or in certain performances if he hit that. Now, the Ben White saga, great defender, a great defender. But again, going back to what Fikoya Timore for AC Milan for a very, very cheap price, similar to David Alaba going for free, there were so many good defenders on the market that uh, you, got, you can't forget, Konde is one of uh, another defender who's on the market right now. So Ben White, again, is the English hype. It has to be because I don't feel like he has proven himself to be a 50 mil player. And if you're uh, thrown into it with the price tag, certainly all of these English players who've been given this big price tags have kind of failed. Not to say that he's not going to go on to have a great career at Arsenal because he absolutely can. He is a very talented young lad, like I said, but it's gotten off to the wrong foot. And you're right in saying that Arsenal could have spent this money in a much better fashion. What's your opinion on this? If I look at Ben White, they got him for 58 million. Look at Nicole Vedi, who has been putting better numbers for the past four seasons at Borussia Mönchengladbach. You have uh, Ginter, who is his defensive partner at Borussia Mönchengladbach. You have uh, Martin Hinteregger, the Austrian centre-back, who brings experience, the kind of experience that Arsenal need at the top level. Uh, Hinteregger finished uh, with Eintracht Frankfurt in the fourth place in the Bundesliga. That is a very good defensive record and a very good position, which was based on the performances of Martin Hinteregger. No bit from Arsenal. No bit from other clubs as well, but Arsenal could have picked these cheap cheap options like Nicole Vedi, Ginter or Martin Hinteregger in, in, instead of picking Ben White. But if you wanted to go big or you wanted to pick someone with a more commercial aspect, I think uh, Pau Torres from Villarreal, after winning that UEFA Europa League against Manchester United, his performance was immense and he played that just uh, Euros with Spain. I think they could have gotten him for about 40-35 million. So that is another way they could have spent that money. Martin Odegaard is not the worst player in the world to have, but he is not as good as Arsenal think he is. 
and his loan move and his performance at his loan move for Arsenal was very inconsistent. And now I think he will add value to the team because he will be the first uh, name on the most on, on most team sheets for Arsenal because they needed an attacking midfielder like Odegaard. But the problem with Arsenal is people are not choosing Arsenal anymore. They have certainly become or are on the trajectory of becoming a mid-table club, which they already are in some aspects. They lost the battle of Emiliano Bondia, who was a better option than Martin Odegaard. They lost the battle for Jack Grealish, who was linked with Arsenal for the last three seasons. They could not get him from the championship with Aston Villa. They could not get him when Aston Villa returned to the Premier League. So Arsenal have been losing these battles in the transfer market for a long time. Other than that, they got Lukonga. So one of the most interesting positions at Arsenal is the midfield spot. And they got Lukonga, who is an unproven talent at the top stage. I think that is another uh, transfer that could have been ignored and they could have gotten someone like uh, Ruben Neves. So we are back with another episode of Unpopular Opinions in Football. And today we have a statement circulating around the Barcelona fan pages on Twitter, in YouTube comment section and on Facebook. And that is that Frankie de Jong, the Ajax wonder kid, is in the top five midfielders in the world of football. What is your take on it? But my question to you is, before I even get into this, when you're talking about top five, who, who is in your top five in, in terms of midfielders right now? In no certain order, I have to go with Luka Modric. Everybody thought he's done and dusted at the Euros. He scored that absolute wonder goal from outside of his foot and he was pulling the strings in the group stages. And whenever he had a chance, he was showcasing his ability that he can still deliver to the top sides in world of football. So Luka Modric is among the, among the top five. The second name I have to go with, Tony Cruz. You might say he, his Euro performances were not there or he was not playing up to his potential. But I think that Tony Cruz and Luka Modric are still the best controlling midfielder uh, duo in the world of football. We know that Cruz is a danger from set pieces, so he is my second pick. Thirdly, I have to go with Angolo Kante, obviously coming off a brilliant Champions League performance and triumph uh, with Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel, major part, played a major part in uh, a lot of the campaign, and he on on his day he is the best defensive midfielder on the planet. Fourth, I have to go with Joshua Kimmich. Look at his uh, versatility, look at his control, look at his ability to spot passes that nobody can even imagine. So Joshua Kimmich is my number fourth midfielder. Other than that, it's a tie between three players. It's Nicolo Barella, Paul Pogba and Marco Verotti. Uh, I won't say Jorginho because I think he had a brilliant season, but he, in terms of ability and raw talent, he is not among the top five players in the world of football when it comes to midfield. So that is my top five. Right. So, with that top five, a very strong top five that you have to uh, think of. But on top of it, you got to imagine there are a few players that you left out. Certainly a few players that you feel like, uh, I, I feel like you, you certainly should have added on top of it. Uh, one player that comes to mind is Kevin De Bruyne. How can you leave out Kevin De Bruyne? I think, uh, again, no particular order. I feel like it has to be involved somewhere, somehow. Kevin De Bruyne is an absolute must. And then you've got players like N'Golo Kante. And I am going to make a case for Jorginho. Jorginho has been brilliant this past season. And we're looking at it in terms of right now. And if I were to, uh, if I had a choice between Frankie de Jong and Jorginho, I would go with Jorginho. Without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, it has to be Jorginho. So far, we've got uh, Kevin De Bruyne. We've got N'Golo Kante. We've got Jorginho. 
Now let me let me put a, another midfielder in there that you uh, actually would have loved this pick is Bruno Fernandes. Uh, the impact that he has made uh, for Manchester United has been a bar none. I feel like he is probably one of the best midfielder in Premier League at the current standpoint. So it has to be said. And then obviously you cannot leave out uh, if you're talking about midfielders, you cannot leave out Joshua Kimmich. So. I mean, we can name midfielders all day long, but I still feel like the top five, De Jong doesn't crack it. He's nowhere near the level uh, that's required to be a top five. Because when you're talking about top five, you're talking about the best in the world at your position. And you, you've been covered and you've been surrounded by great midfielders who have actually outachieved you and who have been performing for such a high level for such a long time. And specifically, Joshua Kimmich and Golo Kante. You put those players out there, they've been performing for so long that, again, leave this. And again, there, then there's players like uh, with raw talent, uh, who've been proven at the world stage at a certain point and then dropped off in Paul Pogba. I don't think it's even a question in my mind that Frankie de Jong does not make the top 10, 5, let alone. I think he might be in top 10, but yeah, that's questionable as well. It has to be said that the players that we have listed so far, at any point, if anyone was given the choice, they would choose Frankie de Jong above them in terms of goal contribution, in terms of impact on the game. Uh, I, I don't think... And again, Messi is, uh, is left Barcelona, so it could be now that it's de Jong's time to show what he can be if he's a really a game-changer in this uh, aspect of things. But in my mind, there is no shadow. Uh, there is no doubt. There isn't any certain like percentage of doubt in my mind that De Jong is not top five right now. Thank you so much for watching another video of FDTV. It's been great to have you joining us. Again, make sure to leave a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. Every single subscription helps. It motivates to put out more football content on a daily basis. Until then, see you next time. FDTV out.